To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. Welcome to episode 350. Holy smokes. Joining me, as always, is the man with the plan, the guy who keeps it going, the scheduler supreme, Mr. Don Moore. All right, but no plan. As a matter of fact, somebody else came on with a plan tonight because I came in with nothing. (laughs) The man with the plan instead is the one and only Dallas. Hey, hey, that's right. Yeah, I only come on on like anniversary episodes, so here no. I am. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like Groundhog. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call you out on this. Off mic, we were talking, and Dallas had a couple of plans, which were fine. But he says, "I'm actually coming this episode with nothing, so I thought I'd have something." I'm thinking, dude, you haven't read anything. You're coming into this episode with nothing. Wait, 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 how, wait. How long you have guys, you been on? Are you guys telling me that? I came to this episode with books read and books to talk about for the, like, you guys don't have wow. books to talk oh, about. I, I I have books to talk to talk about? About. Well, that's why it's the anniversary episode because Rook's got some bunch of stuff. But no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go with anything. I'm just calling out my friend because he hasn't done the show in a while and he comes in saying he has nothing. I, I, I'm sorry, Dallas. I'm calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, wow, I've got I got some um, I've got some sugar-free wine tonight, so I might actually fall asleep without any sugar, or caffeine, or anything. Sugar-free wine. What, Ellie got different? Ellie got it. Yeah, it's not that good. But um, she <laughs> just got her wisdom tea taken out, so she can't drink anything. So I'm like, yeah, I'll have it. You know, I don't want to do anything crazy tonight. So I thought I'd have a little sip of it. It's not that good. Here, hold on. I'm going to sip my water while you're doing that. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> does that have an alcohol content in it? or is It It does, yeah. It's pretty low. Yeah, but I I, I, I don't drink wine. I don't. I, I feel bad because I think there's a whole world to it, and I feel bad like I'm an unwashed peasant when I see it. But I really like to go in stores and see all the bottles and the crates. I think those are neat. But um, when they talk about wine, I, I couldn't tell anything about it. But when you say sugar-free, I'm thinking, well, is that, would that affect the alcohol in it? But anyway. Well, Ellie and I pretended we were connoisseurs. When we went to um, we went to California in Napa Valley on our honeymoon like forever ago. And for like six months after we got back, we were buying like fancy wines. We're like, oh, and this is how you drink this wine. <laughs> and then it ended. <laughs> Bro, I'm right there with you. We even have like a little wine fridge at, at one point. It oh, died on us, and we still keep stuff in it. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> nice. even, I don't even know what we're doing with it. it just, it's just there. <laughs> it looks neat, you know. Our friend Roddy Fry, he um, he teaches painting, and he was teaching a um, couple of classes about wine and paint or something like that. Yeah, that's a whole thing. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I envy that. And I, again, I told him what I said to you guys, that I see wine as this whole world. I like the wine labels. Um, one time in the paper in the 90s, they were talking about a wine company 
and you know on the label it had like a like a lot of them a pastoral scene you know with the sun up in the sky and everything mm-hmm. and if you look really close there was a flying saucer you could you really had to look to see it but <laughs> i thought that was funny and they the whole i don't remember the name of the company but they had these really strange nuances in these pastoral labels but you know i hear people talk about the aging of wine and pockets and the flavor and stuff and and when I was telling Roddy, he just said, uh, the only thing I know about wine is you start drinking white when you run out of red. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Sorry I called you out, Roddy, but I already called Dallas out. So, everybody, I've got a Join connection. The You're getting one on this episode. <laughs> it's a roast episode, but Don's just roasting everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, speaking speaking of roast, uh, Dallas, you had you wanted to talk a little bit of the origin story. Mm-hmm. Those listeners who've not been around for a while, uh, uh, you know, this is 350 episodes. I mean, that's 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 a huge accomplishment for us. I think uh, I I think we all need to take a minute and pat ourselves on the back for that. So. Uh, I'm patting the pictures of you guys on my Skype. There you go. There you go. I'm going to pat my camera. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this whole show got started actually by Dallas, really. Dallas was the was the mastermind that came up with this idea. And, you know, from there, it it just evolved into what it is. Uh, Dallas, what made you want to start doing a podcast with this bunch of heathens? we So so here's the thing. I was Don and I were working at the same widget factory and we um I met him because somebody said, Hey, you should talk to Don because he he likes comic books, he knows a lot about them. So that's how we kind of met, right? And that was what our relationship was based off of. Wrong. His comic books. Wrong. <laughs> Man, I, I what am I missing? Wrong. I knew Dallas for a year. And we had to get our printouts all the time at the printer. Everybody had an initial, and his was DRBR, I think, or DRB. Oh, yeah, it was something. Every time I saw it, I always thought of a soccer player named DDA Drogba from the Ivory Coast. Great player. And when Dallas showed up, I said hi to him a few times. And when I found out that was, that's you? So I told him about DDA Drogba. Dallas goes, oh, I hope he's good. Yeah, he is good. And that was it. All we talked about was bands. Genesis, Bjork. Oh, that's you know, true. Genesis. King Crimson, Peter Gabriel. We trade CDs. We talk about music. Um, I knew he played guitar because a lot of guitar players at work would always converse with him. And um, and I liked Dallas quite well. We were friends. About a year later, a guy, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, told me about a podcast on iTunes called Fanboy Radio. And Lynn Wien was on one of the episodes. I didn't realize how much I knew about Lynn Wien. And I was telling my friend, we'd walk on break. Dallas would walk on break and talk to his fiance on the phone. We'd always run by him. But I was explaining to my friend how much I enjoyed that episode. And I was telling him, you know, he came up with Swamp Thing, uh, came up with Wolverine. You know, um, all the stuff he'd done, it just, it, the list kept going. And then Dallas walked by, put his phone down and said, are you talking about Lynn Wien? And I'm like, wait a minute, what? So I knew Dallas for a year before I ever knew that he knew anything about comic books. That's, okay, yeah, now, that I, now that I butchered your story, go ahead, <laughs> So yeah, and it's, it's, it's true. I definitely, I, I assumed our relationship started with the comic books, but that was, 
almost 15 years ago, probably. Um, your life. <laughs> so, so, so we obviously started talking a lot more. Then we got to the point where, um, you know, we were both listening to a lot of podcasts, comic book related podcasts, and we trade back and forth, say, Hey, have you heard this one? Or, you know, I'm listening to this one now. And so, yeah, just randomly, I got that crazy idea that we should do a podcast. So I brought it up to Don and he said, no, <laughs> like he did not want to have anything to do with it. And so, you know, I gave it a little time and let it simmer. And I don't remember, I honestly don't remember how I convinced you, but I know at some point I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring in Rook. Rook was my best friend. Him and I grew up together. We have a huge history. Like we've been reading comics together through like seven or eight. Right. And so I think I, I probably presented that to Don too. And I'm like, dude, my buddy, you know, Rook can do it. He knows as much as I do, if not more, and a lot about uh, about a lot of different things. So we have a huge variety of uh, uh, of skill sets on comic book knowledge, right? Like this will be really fun. And at some point, I thought, oh, I better ask Rook. <laughs> <laughs> but I I don't remember what Rook said when I brought it up. I feel like you weren't super on board with it right away either. Like I think you may have wanted to do it, but you were still reluctant. Yeah, but I think I, I just was remember kind of it was a bit reluctant about the whole idea because it was just like. Nobody's going to listen to this. Oh, it's like, <laughs> like a group of guys just sitting here talking about comic books. Who the hell listens to that, man? <laughs> You're not wrong. But well, now look, we have like two listeners now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly what I felt. You know, I was thinking, well, I, you know, I mean, I was always, and then when we started doing the show, we started recording that first time we all recorded together. I I heard my voice recorded and I was embarrassed to talk. <laughs> well, talking and Rook starts talking. And at one point, Rook's looking over me like, "Why are you saying anything?" And I'm like, "I, I really don't want to talk on this." So yeah, well, it's fun funny. Time. <laughs> I did like a I did like a trial run and I recorded the first episode. I'm, you guys weren't there, and I just recorded. I was talking about um, uh, the adventures of Luther Arkwright. I think I talked about that and maybe one other book, right? And I was it was probably the most boring, monotonous episode you'd ever heard because it's just like me talking about random comics. And I remember I had recorded an extended version of our theme song, and it had like a whole verse in front of it. And I think we used that for a little bit until I realized it sounded much better with just the back half, which is what we use now. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's the first time. That's the only time you use the whole song. So if you want oh, to just the, first episode. the entire song, it's on episode one. That's right. Yeah. Wow. And then it was episode two when is when you guys were on from then yeah. on, from then forward. Um, and then it got exciting because once we learned how to feed off each other, because we we're all so super excited about comics. And we at first we'd bring on friends quite a bit on the show. And, you know, the it's first disastrous, like, <laughs> yes, mostly disastrous. Results. They were disaster. Was it episode? Yeah. There was a couple episodes. Let's not name the episodes. I was going to say, there were a couple random episodes that were just horrible. And um, there was infamously one episode where we lost like half the recording and it just trailed off. We were all of us, (laughs) not all of us. Half the episode. (laughs) Is that what happened? (laughs) I also spent the night um, next to your toilet, I think. (laughs) Straight up. I remember saving the file because, Mm. all right, so we're doing an episode and there's a whole group of us 
And Don's just Don's Don's hanging in there for the first half, and, he, and he's just like, "Yo, I gotta go. <laughs> this is too much." Because we're doing like shots. Don was the oh. smart guy. Yeah, we were. I think we drank we're like being dumb. three bottles of Canadian whiskey that night. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, the way the way the show we didn't record it the way it was played. What happened was, and this is partly my fault. We um we were. We traded books with each other that we recommended, and we were, you know, we were supposed to talk about them episode 50. And I told Dallas, I says, why don't we have your friends come on on the show? Because I hadn't met them. They were on episode 29, episode 30. Then they came back on episode 34, which is actually a really good episode. Those are Brooks boys. (laughs) Yeah. And but it was that was a nice show. And then um. They were all interesting shows. It's just that, you know, um, I had to put the explicit tag on it and make a really big icon to make sure that people know. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, we're not exactly the proud of those. Wasn't wasn't like that, though. But I thought, well, I haven't met these guys. You know, I've talked to a couple of them online. I says, why don't we bring your friends back on 50? So the way it worked, we recorded us, the first part. And then all your friends came in and we recorded all of us together. And then I left because you know, I had things to do the next day. And um, you guys recorded you and your friends. And the way the show worked was it'd be the, you know, us. Then it would be you guys and your friends. And then at the end, it was all of us together. So, um, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it went um, sideways pretty quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The simple fact that we kept going with the show in general, though, is I got to commend you guys. Like, I think our chemistry was really good, right? We all had a good time doing it. But if it weren't for all of us pushing each other and you guys being consistently wanting to do the show, I probably would have dropped off pretty early. So I, you guys have always been kind of really good about pushing the show forward. And obviously, we went through a lot of iterations. You know, um, I really want to I really want to take a minute and put that on Don. Don was the one who was like, man, I really want to keep doing this. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying myself. And we had taken a bit of a hiatus, really. Um, a few. You know, there were a few. Yeah. And yeah. Don Don met, reached out to me and was like, you know, we, we know Dallas is super busy. You know, you've got, you've got the work life, the school life, the married life, the dad life. You know, you are so, so incredibly busy. And the fact that you take the time to, you know, edit and do the production on the on the episodes, I, I can't say enough, Dallas. I really, truly appreciate you, man, uh, you know, taking the time out of your day to be able to do that is huge, especially with how much you have going on. Uh, Don, Don was the driving force to, to get the show back and get it moving. And I mean, you know. It's a weird thing to say, but COVID was like a godsend for us. I yeah. mean, we what the show has become now is all because of what happened in 2020. And we've gotten to speak to and become friends with really some amazing creators, absolutely yeah. amazing people. Um, I, yeah, I think it's so cool how the two of you completely recontextualize the show right because you took a like you said during covid you took a complete 90 degree turn and you're doing something that that almost makes the show more relevant now because you're spotlighting all these great creators 
Well, okay. I know, but I'm just saying the show is um, we're, we're, we're spotlighting all these great creators now, which is something we didn't do for the first couple hundred episodes. Right. So, it's so it's, neat. It's, you know, almost um, first 200, <laughs> 200 <Yeah>. episodes. <laughs> right. But um, <clears throat> no, when you when we started doing that, you were part of it during COVID. You're you're always a regular. And um, it's just when the world opened up, all of a sudden Dallas, I don't got time for you guys. <laughs> You go, I go, see it, suckers. In your face. Careful, we're going to spit his water everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's fun, too, because we've always kind of been a lo-fi uh, uh, podcast, right? So it feels like it's just like a bunch of guys hanging out, like, in your room talking with you, which I always thought was kind of our charm. But now we have, um, but now we're, you know, we're actually talking to professionals and actual creators, and it's, it's really neat to see the two sides of the podcast. Yeah, but we're still lo-fi, and I think people <laughs> yeah. are really disappointed when they come on. Wait a minute, this is the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's held together by two cans and a string. Yeah, you know, like... you say that, Don, but we've had, you know, uh, we've had such amazing conversations with so many different creators, wow. and I, we hear this so often from creators that come on the show. They're like, "Man, that was really fun. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed that. Uh, you know." Like there, it's we we try and create a casual conversation that creators can just talk about their project and just throw it out there to the world, uh, you know the to anybody who wants to listen and you know it, it's it's really awesome how much you know people don't realize how much goes on in the background here of this show. Um, Don is constantly being getting emails. Uh, replying to creators, trying to schedule things. Um, yeah, he keeps the wheels turning, I think, for the podcast for the most oh, part. Absolutely. He is 100% the engine of this show. Uh, you know, let me just point out real quick that I like how the show started with Don roasting everyone, and now we're patting him on the back. <laughs> but that, that go on. <laughs> you know, if you think of the show like a train, okay, Don is 100% the engine. Dallas, you're the conductor, and I'm just some jackass and coach mouthing off. <laughs> that's the that's that. the charm, though. You are the charm of the show, though, man. You're the one that, like, I don't even know how to explain it, but uh, you you bring character and personality to the show, right? Like, that, I feel like that's part of your job. <laughs> um, actually, you do more, but I'm saying that's like that's a big that's a big draw for you. And there's your pat on the back from me. Part of the thing, too, that you're misremembering, <clears throat> I didn't reach out to you. We were going to close the show out. You know, we couldn't do it. And I thought, okay, you're the one to send me a text that says, how do you feel about this? And I said, well, I'm not happy. What am I going to be able to do? You're the one that said, just give me a little bit more time and I can come back. You know, when your son was finished at school. So I didn't keep it. You did. So you're the cool guy, Rook. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it, it's funny how each of us remember a little bit, uh, <laughs> remember just a little bit different. And it, you know, all I can say is, guys, I'm really happy to have you in my life doing this, you know, and we do this 100% for fun. It, we make no money off of this. We spend more of our personal money than people would believe on you know, the server fees, the merch, uh, Don, especially on the merch. Oh my gosh. I mean, the cool things that Don creates uh, for the yes, show. Yes. So the stickers, the pins, the t-shirts. We uh, need a merch store, like an online store with all our stuff. 
know how to do that. We got the T-shirt. Calling you out? Man, yeah, it, it's been a crazy ride. 350 episodes, guys. I mean, you know, this is uh, this is quite the deal, in my opinion. I, I think we're we're really, uh, you know, I think we're just hitting our stride with this too. Uh, you know, I hope so. we've got so many awesome creators and 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 uh, lined up coming up soon. Um, conversations with creators in the background. Um, you know, I've been talking with. Uh, uh, Lori Calcaterra from um, Path of the Pale Rider. She, uh, she's working on some stuff for her next Kickstarter. I can't tell you all what it is, <laughs> but it's freaking cool. That's oh, awesome. Man. Yeah, she's she's really interesting. <laughs> oh, man. She's a trip, man. You know, yeah, she on top of everything. She gets an idea and she's just like, mm, "Here we go. Yeah. I'm going yeah. for it." Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so here's something fun. Over the years, we've talked about a lot of comics, obviously, and we used to spotlight very specific comics. Let's uh, hey, we should all jump on the um the two dimension page, thebunchofdorks.com. Click on the Cyclops and go to our page. And years ago, we all put reading lists for each member of of the gang, right? So Don Rook and I each have a recommended reading, and I thought it'd be fun. We don't have to go through all of them. Let's just each go through our lists and like this rifle off a couple and see how we feel, like see what has stuck over the years and see if there's anything good or if there's anything we no longer approve of. Man, you know what? Uh, I'm a, I'm, I've got mine up and I, I'll just, I'll just go for it, man. Do it. Um, a lot of these I'm just going to say are still 100% in it. Uh, you know, no hero, absolutely fantastic book. Ghost Rider road to damnation, uh, ghost rider, uh, Heart of Darkness, Lock and Key, Alex and Ada, uh, which mm. I know Don will agree with me on the Alex and Ada fantastic oh, yeah. book. Uh, you didn't Rack like Queens. it when you first saw it. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it, like, the drive-in, uh, you know, top ten, of course. Uh, you know, two of these, though, I'm going I'm to throw them to the wayside. Uh, Batman Hush, while it's a great book, um, it wouldn't be in the top. It wouldn't be in something that I pull first to read anymore uh along with the ultimates um the ultimate series from uh marvel you can basically see that by watching the movies so you know uh it's a great book but there's been more interesting things that have come across over the last few years that i think really would take place of that um maybe like uh the mythologies book or like uh table titans um, some of the kickstart stuff that I've been reading lately, just absolutely amazing stuff like crit path of the pale rider, uh, Bigfoot knows karate. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. these are just a couple of the ones that like, you know, uh, it, it's going to take me some thinking, but yeah, I think, I think I'm going to have to, uh, pick a few new ones here. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you guys feel about your <laughs> lists. Yeah. Okay. Here, uh, I'll go over mine real quick and let's, let's, let's check it out. So here's the thing. My top is probably still my top of the pop still. Is that Cerebus the Aardvark? I mean, that's since I was a kid. I've been reading that, and I, I kind of grew up with it, right? And so that, even though I haven't read it in years, I know that still sticks. I've got Planetary up here, which I actually went back this past week, and I read the first three or four issues. I reread them just to kind of see how it how it how um, how it's aged. It hasn't aged the best, right? Art's okay. 
It's Warren Ellis. He's he's a, obviously a very controversial figure, so I don't want to talk about the creator, but the work itself is um still fun, but a lot of it's like it was a late nineties book and it shows, man, like a lot uh, of the characters, how I'm they're portrayed. Sorry, I'm, I know it's your list, but I'm calling you out. Dallas made me buy the last five issues in a dollar box at Wilson's Book World. I had zero interest in it. He strong-armed me, held me down to the ground, made me cry. <laughs> um, I um, I read it, and I thought, well, actually, this is pretty good. Well, I haven't read the whole series, just the last five issues. They fascinated me. And I found at Sound Exchange over by my house, they had the first trade. I bought it. I actually find it incredible. Um, I see where the ending... I'm one of those people that you always bought comics at flea markets at drug stores and stuff like that. You never had a whole collection, so you never read everything in order. And when I'm reading the first, how it introduced, I thought, oh, that's how it's ending. I see where, I, I find it incredible. So don't listen to Dallas. He may take it off his reading list, but if you have any inkling, it's a good series. Anyway, back it's, to you, Dallas. It's, I definitely agree. It's still incredible. I'm just saying it hasn't aged as well as I thought it would. <laughs> Still really good. Uh, Promethea is great. If I mean, anything, uh, you know, obviously it's Alan Moore, but J.H. Williams III still one of my favorite artists. Sex Criminals is amazing still. Still haven't made it past the first couple trades, though. <laughs> All-Star <laughs> All Superman is still really, really fun. One of the, like, yeah. if I just want to sit down and have a good time, you know, for a few minutes and read something just fun, All-Star Superman is one of them, which is kind of cool. Um since James Gunn went public saying that some of the stories will be based on themes from All-Star Superman, some of the, the upcoming DC movies. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, from Hell, I'm sure that's aged. Uh, I'm sure that hasn't really aged. Or it's aged well, I guess is what I'm saying. I'd say it aged well. Yeah, it's. I'm sure that's a really, really good one still. A lot of these are. Stray Bullets, that's a fun one. It's um That still feels kind of of its time, right? Like early 2000s. But it's it's still a really fun book. Asterios Polyp, still one of my very favorites. Mm. Yeah, dang, all these books are really good still. Fun Home, that was really, really good. Um, a lot of these, I'm not sure if I'd still put on my top, right? Like, I don't know, like um, From Hell, although I really liked it, and same with Fun Home, they're both incredible books. But, um, you know, uh, uh, they probably wouldn't be included on my top 10 anymore. And then Bone, that's, a, uh, that's one for the ages, obviously. I don't know if that would still be on my top 10, but it's always a really, really fun read. You know, I want to I want to say something about Bone real quick. You know, it's really <laughs> weird. Uh, in my professional life, I go in and out of various buildings. I have seen posters for Bone in a preschool. And I just think to myself, I'm like, wow, Bone has changed a yeah. lot. <laughs> like, well, it was definitely not a kid's book to start. Yeah. Yeah, but I think Jeff Smith's released a lot of kids' books with those characters though, you know, under that banner. But yeah, yeah you're right. That that series, original like the stuff they're issue run. The stuff they're advertising with Scholastic is yeah. this it, comic series that Oh, you, it's the original series. Yeah, it's oh. just color. Yeah. Awesome. I just it's weird to see in a preschool because it just <clears> like my memory of Bone, it's not exactly like children's reading. So uh -huh. You and I talk about this a lot. I see where you're coming from now, but I don't know. I, I don't think when kids read it, they're seeing what you saw. Um, I do think 
when I was growing up, I they didn't have well actually at one point they did. I think in '74 they created Spidey Super Stories. Um, the Children's Television Workshop had a series called uh, Electric Company. It was like Sesame Street, but it was to help you uh, in, improve reading. And so they had a Spider-Man comic with the Electric Company. Um, when Mortimer drew it, it was pretty simple. But I bought a few of those, but I wanted to read Spider-Man. I wanted to know what was going on. I didn't want to read a special book for younger kids. And I don't know, I think basically you may not understand everything that's going on, but you want to, and you're living in a world full of adults. You're living in an adult world. And I I don't know, I think bone is a good all ages thing. It just has little white creatures that have a strong feelings for a really good looking young lady. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I, I considered um, letting Emily read it at some, at one point. I know when she was a little younger, she picked up one of the children's books of bone by Jeff Smith um, from the library. And I think it was like, um, it was a wordless book, you know, it was just all images and it was really fun. It was mostly about um, who's the tall, funny bone, the big guy that's like uh, has a banjo and all that. Bony bone. Yeah. Whatever it was about him, and she liked it at the time. So I'm like, okay, maybe when she gets a little older, I'll show her the Bone comics. I haven't done it yet, but I think you're right, Don, because I mean, I don't know. Rook and I are pretty young. We were watching stuff that thematically was probably above our heads, but we weren't exactly picking up on a lot of the the, the subtle stuff, right, or the scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The Looney Tunes were never meant for kids. They were for adults to be shown in movie theaters. Of course, okay. how many of us grew up thinking it was the greatest show in the world? We all loved it. Absolutely. And I got one to top you guys. Let's hear it. Oh, hold on. I want to. I want to call you out. So let me. Let me okay. Get ready. ready? <laughs> Go. I was a big fan and still am of Omaha the Cat Dancer, and that's one of the few comics my wife read. She loved it. And when Fantagraphics picked it up from Tips to Sink, their cover was Omaha, and I can't remember the the boyfriend's name, but they're facing each other and they're wearing Christmas sweaters in front of the Christmas tree. And when Holly was little, she'd pick that up and hold it and just stare at it. And she called it the Christmas cats. Well, that's not a comic that they would <laughs> scholastic whatever touch. <laughs> and um, she never looked inside, but she liked the cover and she always called it the Christmas cats. So, you know, bone safe. <laughs> and bone is safe. Yeah, yeah. But there is something there for adult readers to go, whoa, I didn't right. write this. <laughs> See, it can be – it's a pretty epic book over the course of the 40-some issues or however long Bone is. I I started – when that came out, uh, the guy at the store kept saying, you'll love this. I did not. I was irritated that I paid, I think, two ninety five for it. <laughs> I, I, I honestly hated the first issue. I felt that that guy was ripping off Carl Barks. I think he was just trying to – and I didn't think he was good enough to come up with characters. What are these little white white figures, you know? And um, and I it got to be a popular comic. I see it. I wouldn't touch it. Um, it was in the Disney Adventures Digest. My daughter yes. got one. I would get Tom that Luth. every single month. That's how I discovered it. Tom Luth uh, colored them from Gru the Wanderer. They were. I thought well, these are nice. Um, a guy I worked with had a previews magazine that came with um, bone trading cards. And I was really surprised at the colors. And so I thought, well, okay, there's something to it. But I can't remember why I picked that up again. 
I think Holly picked one, but that's when they were doing, Grandma Ben was doing the great cow race. Yes. I think, wait a minute, there is something to this. And then I, I went back and, you know, I started buying those. I started buying all the back issues. And it didn't start out, I thought, kind of thin and sophomoric. But it turned into this massive epic that I found incredible. And I really enjoy reading interviews with Jeff Smith. Interesting person. So I was completely wrong at the beginning. You were wrong, Don. Oh, yeah, I was in my face. I did. You you mentioned that Disney Adventures Digest. That <clears> was something that I would see on uh, in the checkout lane at a grocery store whenever I go shopping with my mom. And I used to get it every single month. And that's how I was introduced to the bone. They would have like a portion of the first issue in in in, a, in, in, a, in one of the digest issues. And I was like, I was enamored. I thought this was the coolest thing. So I ended up going to my comic store and having it ordered. And I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, several of these books you had on your list, I was going to put on my list, but you know, you had, I thought, okay, I got other ones. So it's, it is a good list, but reading lists as time goes on, it always changes. You may find another book you like, your taste could change. And like I said, these things you can, anything you want, let me know and we can change it. So how about your list? Let's hear it, Don. Well, I changed two of the books, um, that I really like, but I changed it from the beginning. Um, the books that took off was Terminal City by uh, Dean Motter and Michael Lark, which is a series I really love. Uh, they have a trade a trade with both series. I got my daughter to read it. She liked it. Uh, she bought it. And I forgot what the other one was that took off. Oh, uh, Rocco Vargas. It was by Daniel Torres, uh -huh. Spanish artist. Uh, Dark Horse put out a fantastic I knew these from Heavy Metal Magazine. He did um, four different stories. They all came out like um, about the size of the Marvel graphic novels. And they were beautiful. Anyway, Dark Horse put them as one big tome. Absolutely some of my favorite work. I, it, It's almost perfect work. I loved it. I The reason I took it off the list is because I think it's kind of hard to find out of print. And so I, I changed something else. Uh, but the list to me is, if it's not my top 10 favorite comics, which I think it is, but it's just, I think if you're looking for something to read, which is what the reading list is about, this is what I'd recommend. The first one is The Inkle by Alejandro Jordioski and Mobius, which is absolutely to me my favorite book. Um, if, you know, they would say, if you're on a desert island, what would you bring? Well, I would bring this one. I never get tired of reading it. It's it's the same creators all the way through. It's a massive tome, and it, it says something. It has a philosophical thing to it. It has politics, society, social commentary, science fiction, spaceships, mutants, giant monsters, future cities, dysfunction. It's just, it's all there. Uh, my second one is... Love and Rockets, um, but it's the it's the Gilbert Hernandez stories of Heartbreak Soup, the stories of Palomar. Um, those are always my favorite. Um, they kind of lost the plot when he got to Poison River, which you lent to Rook, and Rook read part of it and said, I don't want this in my house anymore, and he ran away crying, which I certainly understand. <laughs> but before that, the Heartbreak Soup, uh, 
duck feet, all those stories, um, you can't beat them. They were second to none stories. Um, they were incredible. Anyway, um, you get that in one one collection, which I highly recommend. And I'm sorry that Rook went too close to the sun on Poison River, because I know he would really enjoy those. Yeah. Um, I got the Valerian stuff. The one I picked was Ambassador of the Shadows, which is the first one I read. And I have to say it's, it's remained my favorite. And that movie that everybody hated but Dallas and myself and my wife uh, was basically mostly based off of that, loosely. Um, but if you're looking for something to read, even though I tried desperately and begged Rook to buy them, he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But enough people did, so it didn't go away. Thank you, in English. Uh, <laughs> Man, uh, he's just, he's on fire tonight, isn't he? Yeah, now? I am. He's, he's done begging on me, so it's your turn, dude. No, I, I've been, I've been giving Rook some, too. You're, you're just dodging it all the time when I say you think it could be me, it could be me. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> Lone Wolf and Cub. Again, like Bone, I bought the first issue thinking, well, okay, it's this looks interesting. And I thought, well, okay, it's, you know, I, it doesn't really. Frank Miller talked about this at a convention in Dallas in 82. I thought all Japanese comic books at the time looked like Astro Boy, you know, or Speed Racer. I didn't know they had changed so much because you couldn't find that stuff here. And he said um, he couldn't read it. But he says it's not the Tezuka style, it's a really rough. And that's where he started drawing Ronin and he started getting a different style than what you knew in Daredevil. Um, but they started putting these out in 80, 87 or 88. And I, I thought, well, I bought the first issue. I wasn't really. Then I bought the second issue and I'm thinking, well, he's, you know, I don't know. So anyway, I saw the third issue. I'll buy it, but I was thinking this would be the last one. And man, that thing, it hooked me. He had to kill a living Buddha. What? And what got me was when he tried, he couldn't. He was in front in, in front of everybody on top of them. They were carrying him on a, what do you call that? Um, when you carry a holy man or a king or something, um, and they're carrying him through the town, he jumps up on it to strike and he couldn't do it. Then it shows him in the temple and he's talking to the Buddha and he said, I tried to strike and it says, but you couldn't, if you would have tried, it would have reflected back on you because I'm nothing. And so basically he started teaching this assassin, the road to nothing. You know, I can't remember what they called it, but he went out by himself and learned it and then came back and killed a man, split him in half while he's coming apart. He says, beautiful and he's gone and i'm thinking what did i just read um it folded my head in and out and i anyway i bought it ever since um it's absolutely and it never stops it just keeps going and going and going um they put them out in really tiny digest books 28 copies absolutely still my favorite work anyway but that's why it's on my list I got um, the work by Carl Barks. He's done Donald Duck. He's done Uncle Scrooge. He's done all the Disney ducks. Uh, there's nobody like him. Great storyteller. I've made Rook read one of the stories before we did a show. I've led him to Dallas. 
Karl Barks, he warmed and illuminated my childhood, and I, I still enjoy reading those books. Um, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were big fans. If you ever watch Indiana Jones, any of those movies, you can see Karl Barks all over them, even though there's no ducks in it. Nobody like him. He's my favorite writer-artist. My the Psychic Girl, uh, Rook had one of the issues in his collection, and that's all I could talk about. Um, it's a Japanese comic about a girl that has psychic powers, and everything is going on around her. There's a Wisdom Alliance kind of finding her father as the martial artist that protects her. Everything you want is in this series. It's it's something else. Uh, Cartoon History of the Universe, everybody knows I'm a huge fan of it. There's five trades of it. It was an underground comic that Growing up and extremely in the middle of the Bible Belt, he he would tell history and he'd even bring up biblical history, but he would make it sound like it was silly. And I thought God was going to strike me dead when I was looking at these things. <laughs> but um, he he's not making fun of religion. He makes fun of kind of everything. But he brings this stuff up and um, it goes all the way up to basically the. The, um, we were having the Gulf War in the 2000s after 9-11, and then he stops. Um, my only criticism of these, and he does address it at the end of the book, was he really doesn't tell you any of the history in South America. When I was in high school, I got really thrilled when I saw a senior student with a history book. He was taking world history. You know, you had to take Oklahoma history. You had to take um, United States history. And in world history, and I thought, wow, because on the cover it had old Chinese paintings, you know, had Japanese stuff. We're going to learn about that. No, we didn't. We learned about World War II. We didn't learn anything about other countries. Anyway, this one, he talks about Middle East history. He talks about Japanese history, Chinese history, which is really incredible. But you didn't really learn too much about South America. And um, which again he addresses, and that's that's, you know, it's still fantastic. Grew the Wanderer, I've got all the issues. Never stopped being one of my favorite comics. But uh, what I put was the life of Grew the Wanderer, which is the second graphic novel of it. It's when he's a kid. I couldn't believe that's always my favorite. I got Usagi Jimbo, Grass Cutter. Usagi Jimbo, like Grew. I've never stopped reading it. It's it's absolutely one of my favorites. But Grass Cutter was something special. And um and then they, later they did Grass Cutter too, which is almost as good. The comic's still going on to this day. It's still one of my. It's always the top of my pile to read when I buy it. But Grass Cutter is amazing. And then the last book I put put was Fantastic Four: The Epic Collection. Anytime you can get any kind of collection with the first 102 issues of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's run on Fantastic Four, those are and have remained my favorite comics. And they didn't have any repeats. It was 102 brand new issues, and most of Marvel Comics is based off of those. Uh, they take you everywhere. Um, Galactus appears. We, Brooke and I talked this in a prior episode. Black Panther, Inhumans, but everything came up. Doctor Doom, uh, Submariner came back. It's just second to none. Anyway, that's my list. Uh, it may change at one point, but those are my favorites. 
actually are my favorite comics. And if you're looking for something to read, something new, or if you haven't read comics like a Triumph, that's what I think would be a good example. Nice. Nice, guys. Man, it, you know, it, it's it's strange to go back and look and see what we were reading, you know, so many years ago when we set set up the site. And, you know, Don, you've got the wherewithal to, to step up and, like, change stuff. And me, I'm over here just, like, forgetting that this page was even a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, I mean, the, our lists are still pretty relevant, right? Like, these are all still pretty big books or they're important. They're at least important to our foundation of, of reading comics. And that's probably why we wanted to pass them on to other people. Because, hey, hey, we had amazing experiences with these books, so we wanted to show everybody else this and let them share share these experiences with other people. Some of these books, though, like um, I, I work out with a guy who's um, he's a retired architect, and I, I brought him Mysterious Polyp. He's, he's not familiar with comic books. Come to find out, he's related to Jerry Robinson, who was one of the original Batman artists, who became a political cartoonist and um was the head of the National Cartoonist Society in the 70s. Um, he's not familiar with work. I've shown him some. He says, I need to find out more about this guy. Anyway, I brought him in a serious pilot. And the reason why he said something, we're talking about paper masters. You know, um, people in martial arts that have degrees, but they're not really that good. <laughs> you know, and he, um, I brought that in. So, you know, we're talking about paper masters, but this is about a, a paper architect. He knows the term well. He says there are, they have a knowledge of architecture. They may teach like Mysterious Polyp did. He says, but they've never actually built anything, which he thought was funny. But I lent him the book, and then he posted it on Facebook. He said, all my architecture friends, you need to read this. And he was telling me he found it incredible. He, he highly recommends it. He's never read comics. You know, he's not part of that world, but he thought it was greatness, and he loved how I'm um, Serious Pilot, how his wife was an artist and he drew drew her in a different style, the colors and everything and how it converged. It was I do think Serious Pilot is the only true graphic novel. I mean there's other ones that are called graphic novels and they're books I love, but this one I really think it's a work of art and it is a novel unto itself. Yeah, well, and you know, you and I have talked about this book till we were blue in the face. That's why I stole it from you on my top ten reading list. But <laughs> the the th the cool thing is it's He's literally pushing the envelope of the medium, yeah. right, with this book. Um, but at the same time, it's really accessible to people that have never read a graphic novel, you know. Yeah. And uh, you can jump right into it and understand the story. But just visually and, and, and narratively, what he's done is incredible for, for the medium. God, I love it. He's, and he's, coming he's, from Mazza Kelly, the, yeah. uh, who I know him from Batman Year One, and then suddenly he does this masterpiece. He's in, he's pretty interesting because I learned of him when he did Daredevil and when Frank Miller came back and wrote it. Yeah, and born again, I, right? First, I thought Frank Miller drew it. It's a little different. And then Frank Miller was talking in an interview back then that people think that Frank Miller was laying it out, not doing thumbnails. And he says, I'm not. I'm giving him a, a typewritten script. And he was drawing it from there. And then they did Batman Year One together, which is most people's favorites. But... After that, he left. He was the top of his game. He could have rolled his old ticket in mainstream comics. And 
I started finding him in rubber blankets. He has an incredible story called Big Man, which is something. It's almost a silent story. It's just a few words in it. Um, Art Spiegelman, his wife, Franz, Francois, Francis Mouly, Francois Mouly, I think. She, um, they had a book called Little Lit, and he had a, I think it was a three pages of a Japanese folklore story about a guy that went underwater. I bought the the hardback for those three pages, but he started working in um a, a simpler style. I mean, it, it's his own style, but the closest I could tell listeners it'd be like um. Darwin Cook style somewhat or um between that and the the Tezuka Japanese style and Bruce Timm's Batman stuff um with a rough finish um when Asterius Polyp was coming out they were talking it says he's a he's some he's a creator that people love to follow but he's never really had anything of his own he was always in rubber blankets or something you know you could always find a few things here and there uh, the Daredevil and Batman stuff, it was collected, but, you know, it's not. But he started working in a completely different style. But Asterios Polyp, like I said, it's a massive tome, and it's all his, and it's it's standalone, and it's something. And I got it for 50 cents. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, it was the first time we went to Megacon, and yeah. I saw Dallas. He goes, I got this for one, 50 cents. <laughs> Yeah, only you, dude. Only incredible. Well, Fifty friggin' cents. Yeah, <laughs> the the corner of the it was a hardcover and the corner was bent. Uh, it, yeah, I just had a little impression in the front. I <laughs> it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> anyway, um, well, I can see Dallas looking at his shelf. He's like, I'm gonna reach for it. I'm gonna reach for it, yeah. aren't you, Dallas? You gotta go reach for that book. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter just came in. I was gonna get the book though. <laughs> Alright, well, why don't we have a music break? Love comes from inside the heart and hate Comes from fear in the dark, you say That you want a new start someday And we watched as the leader of the
You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. All right. That was the song Good and Evil. It was by Music by JC, which is a friend of mine. Actually, he was a friend of my brother's. I didn't meet him until I was in college, but he became my other brother. He was always at home. I know my dad said, um, it's like his other son. Anyway, um, him and my brother started out in bands. He was always a singer, helped write songs, and he hasn't stopped. He's also written some children books. Um, I I just find it fascinating. He's always just putting things out there for people, but he's got a YouTube channel with the songs. He writes the songs, and he finds other people to sing and, and play them, uh, which my brother found fascinating. Uh, but again... He's just putting everything out there for people's enjoyment. I just find that, like, that's why we're friends. He's always open-hearted. So anyway, there's a link. Uh, I'll have it to his YouTube channel or YouTube page. And I apologize. I don't remember the title of the book, but I will have it on the blog. Anyway, Music by JC. And uh, I asked him when I found out about it if I could play him. Because, of course, I appreciate getting him out there. So anyway, uh, give it a shot. Uh, Rook? Man, guys, I somebody needs to take Kickstarter away from me, uh, <laughs> dude. Uh, so one of the great things about Kickstarter, I gotta say, is that you can follow creators you funded and what they're funding. And thanks to Ryan Clater, I came across this book called Sunmaker. Um, it the creator of this book, uh, funny enough, his name is also Ryan. Uh, his name's Ryan Korboff. Uh, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> but the book's called Sunmaker. He's putting out the third issue, uh, which I believe it's the third and final issue. Basic concept here is the Earth is covered in uh, snow and ice uh, to protect what was left of, the, of their culture. These sunmakers seal themselves away in a domed world. Now that their numbers have dwindled, the last sunmaker is risking everything to return to the desolate wastes to fuel the fire that preserves people's essence. How cool does that sound? Yeah, that sounds neat. Yeah. Dude, super affordable. Um, not to mention, you know, it's you get for 27 bucks. I jumped in on uh, physical catch up, which is the first three, which is all three issues, physical PDF. And it also has uh, sun shard chapters one through three as well. Um, really nice guy chatted with him for a minute. Um, sent me a, sent me a personal thank you for funding the, funding the book. And then off of him, he's doing a, um, a release along with a, a different artist, uh, John Eddingfield, the second, uh, with his book Rancidville, the odious end basically think like, you know, uh, it, what I'm getting is kind of like a Scooby-Doo-esque vibe from this. It's really, really neat. Um, the whole concept on this book is a decrepit town, an orphan teen, two friends investigate a greedy town council to solve a murder mystery. I'm like, okay, yep, I'm in. Sounds cool to me. And then I came across Psychic for Hire, 
we talked about this in a previous issue yeah. after I took my Atlanta trip. Yeah. Uh, Sidekick for Hire is putting out its final issue, issue number five. So I jumped in and funded uh, funded for uh, all five issues. So I can catch up on everything that happened after I, you know, left off with issue one that I picked up in Atlanta. Um, the creator on that is uh, Christian Herrera. So that's a really cool book. Uh, looking forward to being able to find out everything that happened in uh, Sidekick for Hire. Uh, looks like I've missed a lot of really cool stuff in that in that series. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, the guy who <laughs> did wait, Rancid- there's more. Oh, dude, there's so much more. The guy from Rancidville sent out a thank you to everybody for funding. Uh, sent out an eight-page um, uh, book for everybody to check out called the a ghastly affair very cool little eight page fun book uh the end uh the end of it it was just like oh man that's hilarious i didn't see that that you know uh very cute uh but also let's talk for a second about we had we had peter on with for pioneers yes and don you joined his mailing list as well right yes i sure did Dude, the books that he sends on that mailing list. Yeah. Did you read the one conceptual heist? No, I, I saw that he's got it. I was going to read it tomorrow. I was actually, as funny as it sounds, I was busy today, but I did read it. I saw the link. But... <laughs> busy making yeah. up roasting jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just walked in the house. Um, I, I haven't had any plans this week, but. Everybody keeps calling or coming over or having me go over there. So hey, it's, um, that's I've been occupied. Have, man. <laughs> You're popular. But this, this book, Conceptual Heist, I want to say it was, uh, it was 2017 that it was released. Great, great first issue. Uh, I got to now hunt down the other issues for it. So that's, that's a fun one. Uh, yeah, That'll be on the blog too. That link, because since you mentioned it, because he does want everybody to read that first issue and yeah. you can read it for free. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go join his his reading his mailing list. He sends out books for you to check out. Uh, there's another book that I found uh, called Intrusive Thoughts, uh, issue one. It's a twenty page twenty eight page horror mystery. Um, deals with themes of loneliness, anxiety, and depression by Anthony D. Stokes. Uh, very, very interesting looking book. Um, jumped in on that one. Uh, I also jumped in on one that's showing to be hugely successful. Um, Control Plus Z, issues one and two. These dudes wanted, uh, dudes, actually, I don't I don't even know who's, who's working on this. Let me look real quick. Um, Okay, I, I can't. All right. Anyway, Control Plus Z issue one and two. They wanted two thousand dollars. They're up to nine thousand nine hundred and five dollars with twelve hours left on this campaign. That's awesome. Wow. Dude, the 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 quick synopsis is uh, set in a world where humanity has migrated to a simulation called Cyberscape. This comic is perfect for fans of the Matrix and Ready Player One, which. <laughs> I absolutely love the book Ready Player One. So, you know, here we go again. Like, the 
the best thing that I can tell you guys about jumping on, doing kickstarts, doing Indiegogo's, whatever funding system you want to want to run on and 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 fund these books and these creators. First off, guys, I want to say that the money goes to the creator. Okay, yeah. you're not pushing pushing dollars towards a big publishing company that's taken part of it to pay for distribution, part of it to pay for printing and then oh here creator here's your 50 cents that you get you know in the end you know these guys uh, on, on these funding platforms they're giving you the breakdown of where the money is being spent art distribution fun extras and then you know the overall profit that they get after the fact you know and then they're turning around and i'm seeing a lot of these guys drop this excess into more stretch goals into more fun stuff for the readers uh, and the collectors to get. And not only that, but able to f super fund the next book so that the next book is that much bigger, that much cooler, that much more amazing for you guys to check out. But, you know, that's just a couple of books that I'm buying on Kickstarter just in the last 48 hours or so. Uh, Sunmaker, Rancidville, Sidekick for Hire, um, <laughs> Intrusive Thoughts. I mean, I'll, you know, it, seriously, I am all about the indie stuff these days. Um, I have been for a, a while now, and I just love this. I love this community that has been created for us online so we can reach out to each other and say, here, here's a really cool idea I have for you guys. Check this out. So, you know, if anybody's interested, we've got some links on the blog for y'all to check out. Um, you know, a couple of these books are, you know, quickly coming to the, to the end of their funding. Sunmaker, I think he's still got, as of right now, 24 days to go. Um, Rancidville, same thing. Uh, Sidekicks for I Hire, 21 days. Uh, at the moment, we're recording this, this show. So, but yeah, everybody check these books out. A lot of fun stuff out there. Um, you know, I don't know what you guys are reading, but um, I'm I'm shifting, man. I'm, I'm, I'm finally falling into the digital platform. I'm getting the PDFs and I'm reading them. <laughs> no, I, I think that's cool as long as you're reading comics. You know, and if you're actually supporting an actual creator, I think more power to you. Um, and that's the thing. This is something you and I talk about, and it bothers me. I go into comic stores, and they're all people our age and older. You don't see, I mean, that's not true. I've seen kids come into the store I go to, and um, I can't remember. They were asking for some. It was some book that's Pokemon, possibly. There was something, um, something the kids watch on TV they have a comic of. And the woman had one copy. There was two boys. Two different families came in. So they got that one. She goes, do you have any more? No. And so they were trying to find him something. I left by that time. But that's the issue. I remember when I, in the 90s, I used to bring my daughter in the store. She'd want a comic. A lot of times she'd go disappointed. They wouldn't have anything. Um, one time we went to one store. Again, this is in the mid-90s. And they, the customers in there kept bringing up Scooby-Doo, kind of making fun of it. And they had a, a stack of Scooby-Doo's on the wall. And when I told Holly, do you want to get a comic? And she walked over, she wanted Scooby-Doo. 
Which is kind of uncomfortable when all these guys are making fun of it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, she didn't mind, so I said, okay, so we got it. That thing was the bell of the ball. Every kid in the neighborhood wanted to borrow it. They treated it like it was a piece of gold. Um, Holly still has it. It's like a lot of comics had as a kid. It's been well-read. I kind of find out the store owner was telling me later that the distributor sent him 37 copies of Scooby-Doo. Wow. And he didn't order them. And when he called them, I saw I'll just keep them, you know. And so that's why those guys are making fun of it. They had, I, I figured all stores would get 100 copies of everything, but I guess they don't. But he said, kids just started appearing out of the woodworks and they bought that. He sold out of Scooby-Doo. He says, I don't know where these kids came from, but I appreciated it. Hey, if you and, stock it, they will come. <laughs> yeah, well, now what he did was, this is when the Batman animated comic, uh, Batman Adventures, was coming out, which I, I collected. I liked that. And one time I went there and I was buying it. He says, uh, I hope you don't get offended by this, but he was in front of the window. He was going to put three spinner racks, and that was the kids' section. And, of course, he was going to put the Batman Adventures. I wasn't offended. I thought that was a great idea. He's also going to put Usagi, Jimbo, Grew the Wanderer, a bunch of books that I love he was going to put up there for young kids. I thought that was an outstanding idea. It didn't work like the Scooby-Doo's. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things, but it wasn't really anything special. It was just a Scooby-Doo comic like they've always put out. But the stores are older people, and when they say the store, you know, it's hurting the stores, I comics aren't dying. You go into Barnes & Noble, you see people reading manga, Mm -hmm. um, and it, there's also American comics. They're just not mainstream. Um, our friend Scott Connor mentioned um, Amanda Talgemeyer. Uh, Ryan Clater has mentioned her. I don't know if she still is, but at one point she was the biggest selling comic creator in the world. And it's all young adult comics, you know, put out in trades. I, I've never read one, but I mean, my daughter has a collection of those, you know, not hers, but other creators. You go in a, you go in any bookstore and they have them, you know, a whole comic section of stuff I've never read, but it's for, I guess, middle school to high school kids. So kids are finding, still reading comics, and they're just finding them in different places, right? So they're not going yeah. in these niche comic shops. They're, they're not the anymore. standard American comic books that we knew, that we grew up with, which yeah. I... <clears throat> That's all fine. I, Paul, what was it? Uh, John Workman, the, he was an artist, mostly he's known as the letterer, who I love. He was talking about it that at one point, Jeanette Kahn, when she took over DC Comics, they said that the distributors only put out 50% of the company, you know, Marvel, DC, Gold Key, Harvey, they only put out 50% of what they gave them. And she was saying, well, if I just put out 50% of that, would you get them all out? No, we just do 50% of that. They said, we just don't have time. Well, it wasn't just time. It was a corrupt distribution system, and they didn't care. And they said the reason why was they really didn't make very much money off the comics. You know, I mean, the comics were, what, 15 cents when I was a kid, you know, 20, you know, 25. They just made pennies. Um the mom and pop stores didn't really like them. They were paying because one, kids are floating around them, reading them. They get damaged easy, you know, and they didn't get much of a profit. They made more money selling candy bars. 
he was easier. You didn't have to keep restocking them. You just put them out there. They sold. So that was a lot of people's feelings. So what they told you at con, if you put out a, a nice slick package, something we could charge a lot of money for, you know, we, we do it better. Um, we talked about, I guess the last episode of Shonen Jump, the Japanese phone book kind of comic. Yeah. But honestly, I think what they were looking at was, this wasn't even out at the time, but Heavy Metal Magazine, except, you know, you can make them for kids. Uh, the Disney Digest would be an idea, like what you're talking about. I always thought if you had some kind of magazine that had a, a collection of stories that people would like, you could have them for all ages. You could even... You know, heavy metal, it wasn't the greatest magazine, but they even had music reviews and movie reviews and stuff like that. You could, we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. You could have a magazine to do that with a whole synopsis and you could serialize some stuff, you know, strips like you do. But comics are everywhere. It's just not always the mainstream and it's not always what you see in the store. Um, I go to the stores all the time. I don't find the comics I want, very rare. A lot of times, the only time I get the comics I want is if I tell them, could you put this in my pull list? Yep. You know? Yeah, you know, and that's a, that's a thing, you know. It's There's big publishers uh, or mid-level publishers out there, small-level publisher, publishers that are doing some really cool stuff, but they're not getting shelf space, you know. Yeah. And that's why I love this online comic community that, you know, all you have to do is just, you know, go go to your funding site that you prefer, type in the word comic book, and you're just going to get tons and tons of, like, different style comic books, all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, just, just for an example, right now, <laughs> as we're talking, I'm sitting here scrolling through some comics. I'm hitting notify me on launch on a bunch of different stuff, you know. Um it's there's so much out here there's there is a world for all these stories to exist and you know honestly i think if all you're doing is reading the big publishing companies you're doing yourself a disservice because there is you know no matter what weird little part of the part of the industry you fit into you're going to find somebody out there writing books for you yeah, I agree. Oh, sure. And and this has been this has become such a huge outlet for creators, right? Like Kickstarter and these kind of sites are getting bigger and bigger, and especially with younger generations. And so, you know, people that are younger than us that are really getting into comics that are curious about them um, are discovering these, and these are going to be their main source of reading one day. Mm-hmm. It's getting yep. bigger every year. With sites like Kickstarter and GoFundMe and like GiveButter and all those sites. They're pretty big. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's there's just more and more of them out there that, you know, uh, like I said, Indiegogo um, is another Mm. one you can go to, Uh, not just Kickstarter. Kickstarter is kind of like the most popular. um, Yeah. But there's plenty of people that won't even fund on Kickstarter anymore due to certain policy regulations and whatnot. So do you know what those are? What happened? Um, no, I don't know precisely what it is. I remember, um, I know like Dave Baker doesn't do Kickstarter anymore. He does Indiegogo. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I, I don't know precisely what what it is. Um, you know, probably have to talk to people who are far more knowledgeable about this stuff yeah. than I am. So, um, you know, I'm just I'm just the, the dork sitting here going, "Ooh, comics." <laughs> Well, no, no, Adam Lawson that we've talked to a couple of times, he does, I think he does Indiegogo. He doesn't do Kickstarter. I I never knew why, but I've seen that. Some of the people we have have Indiegogo, but I didn't know that when you said policy change, I didn't know if anything changed. Yeah, uh, Dave mentioned it in a a post on uh, Facebook or Twitter. I don't remember what. Uh, quite a while back and he had like a whole list of, um, Hey, here's some of my friends that are, you know, popping off on indie, go check them out. So, you know, it's, uh, like I said, there's all kinds of, uh, places you can go to find comic books and interesting books. So, you know, all I can say to you guys is, you know, go out there, find cool stuff. If you find something cool, you think I like, send it over to me, man. Let me there you know. Go. He'll fund it completely himself. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't throw that out there. Dallas. Don't do that. It's like whizzing to something I did. I, I went to the store and the past couple of weeks, I haven't had any books in my box. Um, I don't know what the deal is, but, Anyway, last time I went to the store, I thought, well, all right. And I didn't see anything I wanted off the walls. And um, they have dollar boxes. They have really good dollar boxes. Um, uh, about two, three years ago, I went through them. What I don't like is they have $10 boxes on the floor. And I don't know. I, I'd rather stand up and dig through boxes. But I thought, well, I did it before. And I actually was surprised. I found some pretty good stuff. So I thought I'll do it again. So I went on the floor and I pulled out 10 boxes and I forgot how much I love dollar boxes. Um, I really stopped kind of going through them when I stopped going to the store with you guys. It's more fun when you're with your friends, you know, and you're, you're pulling right. them out. Yeah. And, you know. So you're looking for your friends as well, right? Like, yeah. oh, hey, and here's a book Don would like, or here's a book that Rook would, would like. Out. And somebody will pull out something. Hey, you might. Have you ever seen this? <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's more fun. Anyway. I, and that's the other thing, I wasn't aware of most of the books I found. Uh, some of them I kind of heard about, but I, I found three issues. Uh, the cover caught me, but a lot of times you see a book's cover and the inside doesn't look anything like it. Same artist, but I found issues three, four, and five of Wasted Space. Really? What is this? from a company called Vault, which I personally have never heard of. Um, and there are no ads. It's just um, one design for the whole thing. Um, this is the interior art. Nice work. Yeah, I, I like it. up now. Oh, did you see it? It's got a... I, I, this is starting to turn into a, a style that I see. I mean, this is the own person style. But I've talked about comics that I've seen that other people have kind of worked in a similar style. And um, if you guys are familiar with Ernie Colon, you know, he did books for DC and um, well, he did some books for Marvel too. But he worked in the late 70s in mainstream comics. 
But he was one of my favorite artists on Richie Rich, you know, the Harvey comics for a long time. And um, when he started doing the mainstream work, he kind of had a kind of a, a blocky, sketchy style. And uh, this guy, if you saw, you probably wouldn't think he drew like Ernie Colon like I did, but it makes me think of it. But there's been several comics that I've picked up that look like that. You know, I mean, somewhat. It's kind of like a house style. So I just found Wasted Space um, on Kickstarter, the Deluxe Omnibus. Yeah. 607, 672 pages, 25 issues. Well, I, yeah. Now... I found the three issues. I looked for more. I, I didn't go through all the boxes because I got 10. I thought, enough, I'm, I'm on the floor. And um, so I got them, but I I'm, I like these uh, quite well. The story, I'm on the third issue, but it's a guy that basically was a mouthpiece, I guess a prophet for, I'm guessing, the god of the universe. And they put him in charge, or convinced people to put him in charge. And everybody hates him. And everything's gone wrong, everything's burning, everything's coming to pieces. And everybody's after him. And he's with um, this blue guy that's supposed to be some kind of robot. And, uh, but he looks, looks like a person, acts like a, a really tough person. And then they, I think in the fourth issue they run into a woman that they seem to know and get her involved in it but different factions are trying to kill him there's an invasion coming on they think what's left of earth is going to be destroyed or whatever the world is they're on it may not even be earth um but they decide to try to kill the guy but basically what this guy this prophet is saying was that everything he's done has been wrong of course it's been for selfish reasons um i i've enjoyed the story it's kind of like um it makes me think of the first Star Wars movie. You know, it's just empires everywhere, all this stuff going on. But, I mean, it's a different thing. It's, um... Anyway, I looked it up. There are 25 issues. And on my comic shop, they had the 25th issue. And the synopsis says uh, they were so thankful. I want to thank everybody and thank the company of all comics for letting them do all 25 issues. They finished the story. And it's the same two creators all the way through. Well, I mean, it may have been more creators, but same writer and artist all the way through. Um, like I said, I've got them on my want list. I'm going to start digging all Thanks. the time. Um, some of the some of the issues aren't even available. I guess they sold out. Um, I I love it. Um, if you got a dollar box, go through it. Um, I've gone through dollar boxes at Yancey because you can stand up, <laughs> Yancey Street South. And, yep. um, every time I go in there, I'm really shocked because I go in there and I always come out with 10, 15 comics. And, you know, some of them, I hate to say some of them, I've, I've probably got a copy, but this is a better copy. Or I get it to pass on to somebody. But a lot of times I, I come out with a, a book or series I've never heard of. I never noticed it on the shelf. I don't know why it's in the dollar box. But in old comics, um, Stuff you didn't know were published back in the 90s. <laughs> um, it's just greatness. So Dollar Box is your friend, and they're everywhere. So You can find some amazing stuff in Dollar Boxes. Uh, you know, just uh, take a look at that Captain Confederacy uh, comic, <laughs> you know, 
I picked it up thinking, oh, God, I can't wait to just rail all over this thing. <laughs> I remember and it ended that. up not being some, like, I expected some, like, alternate history. Like, look how great the Confederacy was. That's and, what I thought it was, too. Yeah, you know, instead, it's a whole different ball game. It's uh, it's definitely something worth reading, of course. You know, you have to read it with, a, with you know, a little bit of understanding of what you're looking at, but... You know, but it, it it makes a little bit of a statement in that book. You know, dollar box fine, guys. You know, mm-hmm. I I found one of those issues recently, which I passed on to you at Sound Exchange. I thought I sent you a picture. Do you have this one? What do you do now? <laughs> but when I went to pay for it, you know, I had several items at Sound Exchange, and I remember the guy at the register who is one I deal with all the time. He was looking through them and he stopped at that one. You know, he's just kind of thumbing through them and he stopped and kind of. Yeah. And then he, he yeah. put it back. And then... Uh, you get a little bit of a weird look when you find those? Well, and you no, he was, he's a nice guy. I, I think he appreciates a lot of diversity. But he did say, oh, those are some interesting choices. You know, I was walking out the store. Well, he wasn't being flippant. You know, I also had uh, that other book you got, uh, Regrettable Super Bad Guys or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yep. But... It was Captain Confederacy. He saw that and it caught him. I mean, he, he caught his eye and he, he kind of sized it. And then, you know, he went about his business. But I thought the same thing when I first saw it. I thought it would be some glorification of something. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, definitely not. Definitely not. It You know, that book really makes a lot of statements on the use of propaganda and, yeah. you know, making sure you understand what you're what information you're being fed and how to look at it with a discerning eye. Everybody you know, could use that. That was, yes. I, I have to say, when you found Captain Confederacy, that was my favorite dollar box time. You know, I got to the store and Rook was already leaving. He was talking to people's store. He already made his purchases. And that's when I found the issues of Espruce, which is a series I kind of wanted to read and never saw it in the eighties. And then, um, there was uh, another book I've been looking for that was in there, and we saw Captain Confederacy, and you bought all those. That was that was the best of all the other dollar box times, which were greatness. But that was my favorite time. But um, all right, Dallas. I hate to do this, but I'm going to call you out. Dallas took his daughter to the comic store because she wanted to go, and you did post on Facebook. Just a spoiler alert. She ended up getting a a toy. Instead of a comic, which is fine. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, because I literally, so yeah, the store we went to, we couldn't find anything that was in her age range, right? Really? So it was all, when I walked in, it was all big statues, right? And all the comics that I saw were um, first the typical Marvel and DC stuff, but nothing specifically aimed for kids that I could find. There used to be a small spinner rack or a small section near the front of this store that yeah. had like the Scooby-Doo books and stuff like that, right? right? And I was looking for something that she would recognize and be into. She didn't see anything. And we were there. I, I looked up and down, you know, every nook and cranny of that store looking for a section like that and looking for books that I thought she'd like. And she didn't see anything that she recognized or liked. So that's why she came home with her first Funko Pop. I get it. Well, and still neat, a lot of times you bring a kid to a store and they, they want something like that. They used to have a really nice kid's section. I remember one time on Free Comic Book Day, I was waiting in the line. There was a long line to check out, as you remember. 
and there was a mother and little girl. I gave him a button. I remember the the mother put the button on the little girl, which to me was a thrill, but a two dimension button. But she um she had a bunch of My Pretty Pony um, trades and Powerpuff Girls trades, and the little girl was showing me one of the Powerpuff Girls pages. They they were turned into chickens. And they flew by Mojo Jojo, and Mojo Jojo had a, a broken egg on his eye. And the little girl just thought that was the funniest thing. And I said, that is good. Now, she said, you know the Powerpuff Girls? Yeah, I used to watch it with my daughter when she was your age. And then the mother was saying they come here every year, and they always get my pretty pony, which they did that time. But she said, we thought we'd branch out. But, I mean, the mother took her every year. And that breaks mm -hmm. my heart if that little section's gone, because it has seats, you know. I was shocked too because just a, a few years ago I took my nephew there doing the same thing and there was a section and he was able to find something that was good for his age, right? So I walked in confident that I'd be able to find something for my daughter, but nothing. I was a little bummed. Well, yeah, I guess he took it out because he didn't feel like it was maintaining space. Um, you know, but actually I was going to call you out on that. I was going to call you out that you didn't mention you buying anything. Oh, I don't think I did that day. See, you went to Dallas, who created this show, mind you, goes to Comic Shop and doesn't buy anything. But I have to say, even though I'm trying to ride you, I'm, I'm kind of respectful of the fact that you're only thinking of your daughter, and that's everybody needs to be that way. So I guess I can't bag on you. It's, it's been exciting. She's um she's reading a lot now, and she's yeah. really getting into it. And she loves reading. So I'm about to, I'm I'm at the cusp of I think introducing her to some of my books. That would be probably you know appropriate for her as she gets slightly older. So it'll be fun getting her into the stuff that I I, I enjoyed when I was her age. So we'll see how that goes. Even some of the Carl Bark stuff, right? She obviously yeah. knows Disney characters. I think she'd really like some of the Uncle Scrooge and and Donald stuff. Oh, that's the right age for it, man. Yeah. yeah. But they, there's a lot of comics because I was buying some of them. Uh, Adventure Time, that that cartoon. I think it was either Boom Studios or IDW was. They have a whole series. I, a lot of times I went to Yancey, they had them, and there would be mothers and kids buying them. Um, they have a lot of different series. A lot of Cartoon Network shows and Nickelodeon shows. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the last episode the guy was talking about a Gargoyles comic from the that eight that nineties cartoon. Um. Oh, we I know guess, it. Yeah, yeah, it was a, that was a good show. I didn't know they brought a comic back. But um, there's a lot of stuff. I guess you just don't have it at the store you went to. Um, that's too bad, but they are around. Um, you know, and you can always order them online. I might try a bookstore. Yeah. Just like you, we were talking about earlier. Um, I think that might be a good avenue because there'll be a big section for kids her age, I bet. Yeah. And the one thing with people, you can, might think they might like something, and they'll want something else. Um, Holly would like certain things, so I take a sore thinking she want to get this book, and of course something with a something with a bleeding eye and fangs would come out, and you know your your five year old wants to get that instead of. You know. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I remember taking my kid to the shop when he was little. And I mean, that's basically how he learned to read was through comic books, yeah, you know, yeah. and the guys at the shop were very supportive of it. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times they would just pass him a book and be like, here, kid, here, 
here. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's already getting a book. Yeah, we're giving him this one. Shut up. <laughs> nice. Yeah, wasn't that a mouse mouse garden? Mouse Guard was one of the books that he yeah. did, that drew his interest, and yes, he uh, he collected that quite quite a bit actually. Um, and I think Mouse, if I remember right, Mouse Guard is um, Mouse Guard might be getting some treatment here soon. Um, That's I, what I heard. Yeah, so yeah, I should be interested to keep track of what's happening with Mouse Guard. Um, I know I've seen some on Kickstart. I've seen some uh, like like lego style minifigs done up um uh-huh. you know i've seen uh, i've seen a tabletop a ttrpg uh getting getting worked on or it's already done and out i can't remember exactly uh but yeah mouse guard you know what mouse guard is a great book i'd probably say for around like maybe like the I think maybe around like the eight or nine year old age is a good is a good mm-hmm. uh, spot to drop that in that that's a cool mm-hmm. little book yeah, yeah, it is. It is a nice book, and um, I somebody I work with brought it in. They went to MegaCon, and she said this is the biggest thing out there. And they were those square comic books, like a like a children's storybook. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was good. I didn't really want to read it. I was surprised it was so popular. But Holly got really into it, and uh, she said I like Mouse Guard, so I was buying those for her, and then um. Chris, your son Chris, he was showing me his collection, and he, at the time, absolutely loved Mouse Guard, and you lent me one of those books to read, and it, it changed my mind. It was a neat story, and they even had in the back, like, um, you know, the different positions that uh, the warriors had, the armor, um, clothing people wore, um, where they lived, how they lived. Um, yeah, it's like a really awesome encyclopedia, and I thought, yeah, you can't just really look at one book and think you know it all. It's it was, it was a big big piece, a lot of stuff. Anyway, well, Dallas, I'm sorry that there's no kids comics, and I'm sorry that you weren't thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'd be fun. So, so my daughter's been um, big into Mario and Zelda, and she she plays Switch a lot, so she loves those characters. Rook, remember um, the old Captain N comic books and all those Zelda yeah. comics from like Valiant Comics? It'd be cool to dig some of those up and like let her see some of those. Oh man! Oh my gosh, you remember that? I I feel those probably didn't age very well. Yeah, probably, but, probably not. I mean, because you you think about like the tech used in those books was from the old NES days. So oh sure. She'd probably be looking at this like, this is old. You're it'd be old. more. It'd be more for me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably. It'd be more for me. Just I'd, I'd want to reread them. <laughs> you never know, though, because I remember when Nintendo came out with uh, the N64, or was it since 64? But um, my brother had an old Nintendo. My brother's a music teacher, and he had his old Nintendo system in the class. And if uh, students finished certain things and did well, they got time to go play that old Nintendo, yeah. which really seemed really prehistoric and my dad was telling me about it says the kids like it and they call it old school uh sometimes <laughs> i you know we were just talking about 40s comics and some past episodes and stuff i was reading comics in the 60s and 70s and when dc would reprint these old stories from the 40s 
I loved them. I loved them more than the current comics because there was, I don't know, there was something. I'd even watch old movie serials from the 40s, the Flash Gordon stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. There was there's a charm to certain periods saying that the 70s, um, I don't know, people don't seem to have, think there's the same charm. <laughs> Well, but, it's, uh, in it's, the forties they had it, the fifties they had a charm, sixties uh, I'd say the eighties had a charm. But um, so you never know. You might show them, and so I've always found if you're really excited about something, thinking they're gonna love it, they won't. But, but the opposite will happen. That's what, yeah, they go. Uh-huh. For, I, you know, well, it's, you it's funny because you were saying about how these old things have charm, and I find myself when I'm playing the the, the Switch sometimes. Um, I find myself playing all the old Nintendo and Super Nintendo games on there. The other night, uh, Ellie walks out in the living room, and I'm playing Mario 3, and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, and if I'm being completely honest, oh, Rook just pulled out the Nintendo Classic. This is good radio. The emulator, baby. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, I, um, to be completely honest... This the playing the Switch lately has has taken over my my comic reading time because uh, in the the car pickup line to pick up my daughter I used to sit there and read comics on my tablet but lately I've just been playing games so. Oh, so you can blame you can blame Mario for that. Mario. I never <laughs> played, I've never played any video games like, you know at the arcades you play them a little bit not much but then when my daughter she was little she got um. And then 64, and we played Mario, um, Super Mario. I absolutely love that. And then um, she got Zelda, uh, Ocarina of Time. Was that it? You know, yes, yeah, the Ocarina of Time. A couple uh, of years, years. My my buddy got me an actual Ocarina for my birthday a couple of years back. Can you <laughs> play because it? of that game? No, I could. Tr- I, I tried. <laughs> I used to get those in Cracker Jacks in the 60s, little plastic ones you put together. Uh, yes. I didn't know they were really a thing. Um, but we played that, and then she got a Nintendo GameCube, and she she didn't want to play with me anymore. She had a game. She had me play a game. I started one. Later, she asked me, why don't you ever play it? Well, you don't need me anymore. Uh, <laughs> it was fun when I played it with her, but I've never really played them again. I, you know, it wasn't my thing. So, all right. Well, I we've talked enough. Um <laughs> Rook's already got his controller out, and I've lost Dallas already. Oh, Rook, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, on the Switch, it's been a, a treasure of classic games in there. I love it. I bought, um, like, a Contra collection with, like, ten Contra games for, like, three bucks. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, this but, thing um, comes in comes with 620 classic games built into it. Oh. And I'll be honest with you, I've actually... I'm open, I opened it up and realized I've never actually plugged this thing in. When am I coming over to play? Come on over, bro. Come on. <laughs> all right let's do this all right all right and is everybody else uh let's get rook's address in a time so everybody can show up at rook's house yes <laughs> line up get in line <laughs> we all have right. to take turns it's only two player <laughs> well since this is wrapping up uh if anybody likes to draw we're always looking for um fake comic book covers to announce on the facebook page and facebook group um and we can't pay you for it because we make no money but if you'd allow us to use it, we'll uh, also add it to the cover gallery of the blog. Uh, a lot of people enjoy these. Um, I, we always bring this up. Sometimes I get people saying, uh, I don't know if you're going to like this. We've liked them. Um, 
And I can even format it to the size of a comic cover if you don't think it would work. We can we can get it to work and manipulate it. Um, and if you're any kind of singer, musician, performance artist, if you can put on an MP3, we'd like to play it on a music break like we did today. Um, Brooke always bags on me that we keep playing the same people over and over a lot. And uh, actually we don't, but we're running out of things and it sometimes gets desperate. So if you can draw or perform, please send us something. You can find the, the direction on the contact page at the blog. We also have a t-shirt, it's on the sidebar of the blog. It's not to make us rich, it's just to help us with the hosting fees. Listen to the show, wear the shirt. Wear the shirt. Brooke. Wear the shoe. Man, we got yeah. shirts now? We have shoes. Sweet, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Don just keeps growing the brand. <laughs> yeah, everybody, go check out the website, bunchofdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. You can find everything we talked about on this and past episodes. If you are interested in talking to us, if you are a creator, shoot us a message. Don will filter through it all and figure out when we can get you on. Dallas will lovingly edit it to make you sound like a million dollars. And I will sit there and talk endlessly and stupidly about other things. <laughs> I love it. Until next time, everybody read more comics.